ஷதுல்லாஹிலாஹிலாஹிமினீம்ஸ்மில்லாஹிர்ரஹ்மான்ரஹீம் Welcome to uh, our Friday Juma service on 24th of September 2021. Today's topic is Shirk. And I'm going to read out verses 164 and 165 of the uh, Holy Quran. ஹரிகிரிவாஹிமாஹி <coughs> வசிஹாபில் <coughs> முசஹரிசமாயிலூன் ஜமிஅம்ஹதீதுல்ஹாப் In the creation of the heavens and the earth, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the changing of the night and day and the ships that run in the sea with that which profits men, and the water that Allah sends down from the sky, then gives life therewith, to the earth after its death and spreads in it all kinds of animals and the changing of the winds and the clouds made subservient between heavens and the earth there are surely signs for a people who understand 
And yet, there are some people who take for themselves objects of worship besides Allah, whom they love as they should love Allah. And those who believe are stronger in their love for Allah. And oh, that the wrongdoers had seen when they see the chastisement that power is holy Allah's and that Allah is severe in chastising. And uh, there is uh, <clears throat> there are many hadiths on this topic and one by Hazrat Abu Huraira from Sahih Muslim in which the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah Almighty said, Verily, I have no need of any partners. Whoever performs a deed in which he associates another besides me, I will abandon him and his partner. And uh, the word shirk, which is the title of this khutbah, uh, it comes from the uh, Arabic root sheen, ra, um, kaf, and it generally means to share. And uh, so in the context of the Holy Quran, this is sharing as an equal partner, someone else with Allah. And basically, you are attributing a partner to God and you're saying that thing, that being has uh, the same, pa same powers as Allah has. You see, the whole point about denouncing these things is that before Islam came, people would see some misshapen rock and they will start attributing to it powers that God has. They'll see some misshapen tree and start doing the, 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 the same thing. And we have in some countries that a child is born and uh, the child is uh, uh, um, uh, disabled for some reason and uh, uh, deformed, let's say. And people start worshipping that child as if God has manifested himself in that shape, as if God has a shape. And Nazrat Ibrahim um, Abraham illustrated this beautifully. His father was uh, an idol maker and uh, people, his people would worship idols and they would not listen to Hazrat Ibrahim that these idols are useless. So one day he took an axe and he went and he uh, destroyed all the idols except one. And then he took the axe and he put that axe in that idol's hand. And uh, <clears throat> When people went and they saw these uh, 
idols had been uh, destroyed, vandalized, I suppose would be the term in current parlance. Um, they, Hazrat Ibrahim was there and uh, um, they asked him who did it. So Hazrat Ibrahim pointed to the idol and said, well, you know, look, he has an axe in his hand, so he must have done it. And they said, he can't do anything. How could he go and uh, destroy these idols that we have? And Hazrat Ibrahim said, if he can't do anything, if those that got destroyed couldn't protect themselves, and he hasn't destroyed them, why do you worship them? Why do you worship them? And people were then uh, uh, speechless. But the point about shirk is this, that you have to lower yourself to something. You have to lower your dignity, you have to lower your intellect, because you are saying whatever that thing is, is better than me. It has greater powers than me, it has greater understanding uh, 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 than me. And so, when Islam came, it raised humans to the highest dignity. And God says here that, you know, when a flood comes, you start worshipping the river. When a, a, volcano, a volcano explodes, you start worshipping the volcano. But I created them. These are my signs. I created heavens and the earth and day and night and everything else. And you see the earth dies and rain falls upon it and then it comes back to life again. And all manner of animals and so on were they created without any reason, were they created without any creator? And then the next verse says, despite all of that, they can see that, that surely, the verse ends, surely these are signs for people who think. Then God goes on to say, but you still take the same objects, as objects of worship for you. What is wrong with you? And you love them as you should love Allah. So one consequence of shirk is the fact that it lowers human dignity. You start prostrating to a tree. Why? Because it's misformed. You start prostrating to a deformed sheep that is born. Why? But although, you see, the difficulty with Muslims has been that uh, they've moved away from that to some degree, not completely, only to some degree. And, uh, you know, they say, oh, you know, shirk is that uh, you take some clay and you make an idol out of that, or you take a piece of rock and you uh, uh, sculpt it in the form of whatever and you start worshipping that. But then if you think about in the religious sense, 
when you go to some saint's mausoleum and you raise your hands, if you're in Lahore, you'll raise your hands. And I've heard people uh, say, Oh, Data Ganyabhag Sahib, grant me this. It takes us back to Hazrat Ibrahim's example. If Hazrat Data Ganyabhag could grant you something, he would have granted you. He would have granted himself before he granted anything to you. He would have granted him a long life so that he didn't die. But he's dead. He couldn't do that. If he couldn't grant himself anything, how is he able to grant you anything? And I have actually seen people, and there are videos that when people go to uh, these uh, urses and so on, that they prostrate to these graves. So how is that different? How is that any different to prostrating to a mis misformed rock or tree or sheep or human or something that has been uh, uh, sculpted or uh, carved out of uh, uh, rock or something? There is no difference. It is exactly the same. And then to raise your hands and say, Ya Shaykh, grant me this. How can Hazrat Muinuddin Chishti grant you anything? How can he grant you anything? Why didn't Hazrat Muinuddin Chishti make the whole of India Muslim if he was able to grant things to people? But even if we don't worship them in the sense of actually prostrating before graves and so on, there is another way in which we uh, um, you know, prostrate uh, before uh, these religious leaders. And, uh, and that is that, you know, some man came and he was talking to me about differences between MDs and non-MDs and I explained and I said, well, we believe that Jesus has died and he is never going to come back to earth again and so on. And the Quran says, you know, I'll cause you to die. And the Quran says, Jesus and his mother must pay zakat for as long as they're alive. How is Jesus paying zakat in heavens and so on? So he listened attentively. And then at the end of my speech, he said, well, Shahid Saab, from what you say, it does seem that the Quran says Jesus is dead. But I will not believe that until my Malvi Sahib tells me that Jesus is dead. Quran is the word of God. God is telling you that Jesus has died. But you are saying you will not believe God until your Malvi Sahib uh, tells you that this is so. What are you saying? You're saying that your Malvi Sahib, your religious leader, is greater than God. And this is the distinction uh, of uh, our organization. Uh, many times I've gone to Lahore and I've stood up there at the, uh, um, at the prayer meeting 
and uh, I've spoken. And I started off by saying that in his translation of the Holy Quran, Hazrat Maulana Muhammad Ali Sahib Rahmatullah says this, but I've thought about it and I've come to a different conclusion and it is, and no one starts stoning me to death or attacking me. How dare you disagree with a man who was so great, who created the first, uh, the, the, the English translation of the Holy Quran, that was the first one to become popular and acceptable. He translated Bukhari and he translated Quran into, uh, into Urdu and gave thousands of khutbas and whatever. How dare you disagree with them? No one says that. They say, okay. And this goes back to the time of Hazrat Masih Maud, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Sahib. Someone complained that so and so believes that Jesus has had a father. Hazrat Sahib believed that Jesus didn't have a father. It was immaculate conception. So Hazrat Sahib called this man and said, uh, you know, do you believe Jesus uh, had a father? And he said, yes, sir. And Hazrat Sahib said, why? So the man said, the Quran says this, the Quran says that, the Quran says this. And uh, Hazrat Sahib's uh, reply was, oh, well, that's very interesting. And the man went away and people were astonished. And they said, sir, you didn't tell him off. You didn't throw him out of the Jamaat that, you know, his belief differs from yours. And Hazrat Sahib shrugged his shoulders and said, the man was arguing from the Holy Quran. What do you want me to do? He wasn't saying, science says that Jesus couldn't be born without a father. This is why I believe that. He was saying the Quran says that. So what do you want me to do? This is the Mujaddad of the century sitting there. The person for whom the Holy Prophet used the words Messiah and Mahdi. And he said, well, if if he, if this is the result, if this is the conclusion he comes to by reading the Holy Quran, it's different from mine. What do you want me to do? And then in our private lives, I suppose the, the example covers both private lives and, 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 uh, and work. It's exactly the same thing. Hazrat Umar ta'ala used to make uh, rounds of Medina to uh, listen to people and uh, their complaints that they might be reluctant to make in public to him and so on. And he heard a row going on between, uh, this was early in the morning before Fajr, a row going on between uh, a mother and a daughter. And the mother was saying, we haven't got enough milk, so put some water in it and dilute it. And the daughter said, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And the mother was shouting at her and so on and telling her off. And she, uh, she said, uh, Umar is not watching you. He wouldn't know what you've done. And the girl replied, Allah is watching me. That's why I'm not doing it. Not because Umar watches me or Umar is watching me, but Allah is watching me. This is why I'm not prepared to do something that is dishonest. So now, here is Hazrat Umar, who's the head of state of a country that includes the whole of Saudi Arabia, it includes Egypt, it includes all the countries all the way up to Turkey and many others towards, uh, towards India. 
What does he do the following day? He calls that woman and asks her to uh, come and see him. So he, the woman turns up. And what does he do? He asks for that girl's hand in marriage for his son. I mean, that woman must have been one of the poorest in his realm. But the mayor of choosing a girl for his son wasn't how beautiful she is, how young she is, how far she is studied, how clever she is, and so on, but how honest she is. Not what her physical beauty is like, but what her inner beauty is like, what her spiritual beauty is like. Now, if she listened to her mother and done the dishonest thing, when God has said, don't do it, then that means that she is holding her mother above God or equal to God. Yes, I know you will say, but Islam says, listen to your parents. It does. But there is an implied sentence there. You know, I can't call someone in and say, here's a contract. These are the terms and the conditions. And what you've got to do is go and kill someone and you'll get a hundred thousand pounds. He may sign it, but I can't enforce that contract. I can't go to court I, and say, look, you know, I gave him a hundred thousand pounds to kill someone. He took my money, but he didn't kill them. Who's laughing? <laughs> so there are some things that are understood and implied. So yes, Obey your teachers and parents and so on, but not if they ask you to do the wrong thing. And that applies in your private life and that applies in work and that applies in, in politics as well. And Muslims have fallen to a very low level, spiritually, intellectually and so on and so forth. Why? Because we commit shirk. In many of the ways that I would describe to you, but also because when a politician decides to do something wrong, which is harmful for the country and the nation, we do not dare say, sir, I don't think this is the right thing to do. Why? Because we say, he made me the minister. He got me a free house and car and so on. And if I oppose him, he will take my job away. So that means that the president of your country or the prime minister of your country is more powerful than God, or at least equal to God. And this is why shirk is regarded as the worst crime, the worst sin that a Muslim can commit. And shirk is one thing that God says, I will not forgive because of its consequences. 
if someone doesn't oppose a prime minister's decision and that leads to the death of a million people, that death is on that prime minister's hand, but also on the hands of the people who did not oppose him. How do you expect God to forgive you for that? So when we talk about shirk, please don't just think about making idols and bowing before them and, and so on. Just think about whether in your life you are committing shirk by doing any of the things that uh, I have uh, mentioned here. Barakallahu lana wa lakum fil Qur'anil azim wa nafana wa iyaakum bil ayati wa zikril hakim. Innahu ta'ala jawadun kareemun malikun barrahu furrahim.